Hello and welcome to the Wild Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Telkish, bringing you interesting and hopeful stories and experiences that bring you closer to your own inner wild. Today, we will be exploring the symbol antimony that alchemists associate with the wild nature in all of us. Also known as number 51 on the periodic table of elements and sometimes called lupus metallorum, the gray wolf. I will be including some ideas of connecting antimony, wolves, and feminism in our culture today. What does wild spirit mean to you? What does connecting to your own inner wild nature mean to you? I know for me, when I ponder the mythos and meaning of wild nature and wild spirit, it brings me back to my childhood and what it was like to connect to that spirit as a child. And for me, it was in the mud pies and collecting of rocks and feathers and climbing trees and pretending to be a bird or getting lost in the woods and being happy that I was lost in the woods and following a little fox all day long and coming out gleeful and happy while the rest of my family was not. Uh, But As we get older and things get busier and puberty happens and we grow up, a lot of us tend to struggle to keep connected to the joy of being wild as a child uh, and or maybe we never did have that connection. So how do we find that connection? I think that Wild nature and our own wild spirit is about connecting to what settles our heart and allows our heart to open. And sometimes opening our heart is scary and hard and it's not something that comes easily for a lot of people. I know that for my own self, one of the times that I remember connecting back to my own wild spirit was as a young adult sleeping outside without a tent and having to trust that being in a wild space was going to be okay and I was going to wake up in the morning just fine and for some reason that flimsy little bit of tent makes a big difference for some of us (laughs) so maybe you've had that same experience or not but I think that all of us have found something that we've had to jump headfirst into and just trust. And if we haven't, I want to encourage you to do so. It's okay to be a little scared. It's okay to feel trepidation about moving forward into something new, but It should also feel exciting and when you do it, your heart should feel full and happy and joyful and 
relaxed afterwards. And what I found is when I let myself relax into wild nature by sleeping outside, climbing old growth trees and going to different types of events that I would have never thought I would be at and just kind of jumping full form into it. I had to trust that my wild spirit was leading me because I was going from my heart and that it was going to lead me to a good place. And that led me to dedicating my adult life to being closer to wilderness and translating the wild to humans because though we are an intrinsic part of it we've forgotten and so for me it's being an herbalist and bringing people back to their own inner wild with plants for you it might be singing or dancing or sex or having babies or hiking or meditating or praying or just walking quietly but remember that wildness doesn't care what people think or what you sound like or what you're wearing or photographing or how you compare to others wildness wants you free it wants you to have joy and wildness fills your heart and soul with the howl of the wolf so be fierce be wild and be free I'm going to move us on to some poetry. Girls of the Wild by Nikita Gill. They won't tell you fairy tales of how girls can be dangerous and still win. They will only tell you stories where girls are sweet and kind and reject all sin. I guess to them it's a terrifying thought a red riding hood who knew exactly what she was doing when she invited the wild in. That was from Wild Embers, Poems of Rebellion, Fire, and Beauty. The alchemical symbol for wild spirit is also representative of the element antimony, number 51 on the periodic table of the elements. And this symbol has a rather controversial nature that I thought I would share with you. The story was quite entertaining to read. And apparently the discovery and the real work with alchemists and antimony came to light in with the alchemist Johann Told, who claimed to be in a monastery and the storm swept in and a lightning bolt split a pillar of marble and out tumbled this triumphant chariot of alchemy, which was an ancient alchemical text written by a Basil Valentine. And Basil Valentine is this mysterious monk who lived around 1394, although some people wonder if it wasn't the pen name of Johann told, and that he just was trying to hide his identity through Basil Valentine. Others believe that Basil did 
actually live and wrote several texts. And the writings of Basil Valentine include coded writings that were instructions on how to turn metals into gold. And there were old alchemical spells and all sorts of stuff related to antimony, especially in this text, the triumphant chariot of antimony. But another text was written later or translated later by him, which had to do with the 12 keys to understanding how to actually use antimony because it is a toxic element. And it's been used throughout antiquity um, the Egyptians used it on their eyes as eyeliner, known as coal, and it's this kind of metalloid substance that, in its essence, if you were to take it internally, it was found to be somewhat toxic. Um, but Basil Valentine apparently gave it to some monks, and when he gave this substance, not knowing that it was necessarily toxic, when he gave it to them... He found that it evoked the wild nature in monks, and so he called it anti-monk or antimony. And so it's also kind of interesting how this element, it's also known that this element is thought of as the essence of femininity. And so I can see how this would also potentially be looked at as anti-monk. And so, so the idea of antimony as a medicine was also explored and pills were used as a popular laxative. And some people wonder if Mozart actually died from too much antimony. If we turn back to look at Basil Valentine for a moment longer, he was someone that, whether it was a pseudonym or not, was quite ahead of his time, it seems, and he was operating under the philosophy and the law of similars, or like cures like, which stems from ancient Greece and Hippocrates and was later made very popular with Hahnemann and homeopathy. But he, rather than just look at his operating philosophy, he was also working to render metals like antimony useful rather than just toxic. So I think he was frustrated at times with people misunderstanding what he was doing. And you'll see that he was able to create a form of antimony using some different coded keys. And he wrote this in the triumphant chariot of antimony. Here again, I am tempted to cry woe upon these foolish doctors whose consciences are seared with a hot iron, do not care in the least for their patients. They complacently go on trusting to chance, prescribing the first medicine they happen to find in their books and leave the patient and the disease to fight it out as best they can. They do not even trouble to inquire in what way the medicines they prescribe are prepared. Their laboratory, their furnace, their drugs are at the apothecaries to whom they rarely or never go. 
They inscribe upon a sheet of paper under the magic word recipe, the name of certain medicines, whereupon the apothecary's assistant takes his mortar and pounds out the wretched patient, whatever health may still be left in him. So just a little bit of frustration, it sounds like, on Basil Valentin's part. So it's processing, to reiterate, was rendered the poisoning, poison in it inert, and it was used for ulcers, eye diseases, hemorrhoids, wounds, fistulas, and as a remedy for purifying toxins, which in alchemy, it was also used as a remedy for purifying or finishing gold and was also known as the wolf of metals or lupus metallorum. So I think that there's this underlying supposition that the antimony, the wild spirit, had some sort of connection to the sacred feminine. And as a medicine, I found further research as a medicine, I found upon further research something called the Quinta Essentia Melissa. So this was a universal remedy that involved using lemon balm and antimony. And then there was an oleum antimony, which relieved myalgia and pain and fungal infections. And you'll see that this sort of pharmacy happens in places like traditional Chinese medicine where there's things like aconite, which in its essence is poison and it can shut down your central nervous system. But you'll see in traditional Chinese medicine, they've prepared it in a way that gets rid of its poison. So the difference between poison and medicine is not only dosage, but how it's prepared. And I think that's important to know because a lot of people will think, oh, well, maybe I should start uh, using antimony. And that's absolutely not what I'm trying to get across here. It's just an, a little bit of an exploration of its history and its use and it's the symbol for it, how we might explore it today. And it was definitely looked at with great reverence and thought that using this element or this type of preparation once rendered into medicine would actually reintegrate the body, mind, and spirit, and soul into the rhythmic cycles of the earth and actually help you with your sleep-wake rhythm. And its symbol not only was what you'll see as an icon on my show, but it was also symbolized by a wolf. And sometimes you'll see a wolf eating a sick old king. So I kind of think about this there was a lot of mysticism surrounding this element and the stories around it. And I also think about the way the wolf is characterized in modern culture. And you'll see books like Women Who Run With the Wolves and how Dr. Estes, who wrote the book, looks into the symbol of the wolf and woman and that wolves symbolize this feminine spirit, this really sacred, fierce feminine spirit. And right now, I think that connecting to wolves and antimony, and you'll even see that sometimes some cultures will look at wolves as a negative thing. But then if you look a little deeper, so a lot of European cultures, there'll be all these, the big bad wolf and uh, all sorts of fairy tales related to evil wolves. 
But then if you go further back, pre-Christianity, you'll see things like Romulus and Remus, who was raised by a she-wolf. And I think there's this, well, we're scared of this idea of wild nature and fierceness, and especially if related to femininity. I think that we're starting to see the idea of women and wolf and sacred feminine displayed as women form packs and the Me Too movement gathers around and takes down people who are aggressors. So I, th- I think to move forward from this, what we can do is if this is something that you find resonates with you and you want to go deeper, I would take the symbol for antimony, what you see on my podcast and start drawing it or meditating on it and really think about what that means to you. And you can also do your own research on it. Then also meditating on the idea of wolves and how wolves relate to you or do they relate to you? How do you feel when you think about a wolf? How does that affect you? So more than ever, I think women need to act as wolves. And I think more than ever, the sacred feminine needs to be honored, nurtured, and that we need to go deeper into looking for the sacred feminine in each other and each of us and how that relates to us. It's not about binary gender. This is about femininity and how femininity needs to play a role more in today's culture. So to think of what femininity means and what is it to be sacred and feminine, I think about being more receptive. I think about acting in harmony thinking about your pack, thinking about how to protect each other. And wolves inspire fierce devotion, as does the sacred feminine. Sometimes being able to sacrifice yourself for the good of others. I think that bringing in femininity and feminism to our everyday actions may be part of what saves the planet right now. And so it's very important to me to reclaim that word, feminism. There's a slightly misunderstood definition of it. And so to me, a feminist is somebody who wants to see equality for the sexes and everyone. And to me, the definition of a, a feminist advocating for social, political, economic, and intellectual equality for everyone. It defines political perspective and it can mean different things to different people, but it also might explore gender reform, gender resistance, and gender revolution. So feminism isn't just women being in charge. It's also about women being in charge of their own bodies and everyone being in charge of their own and being responsible for their own selves. But to me, feminism also includes taking care of each other and the group. I've been to a matriarchal culture in southern Mexico. I was very honored to be able to be a guest there, and I got to see firsthand what it was like to be in a culture that was respectful of everyone and that women were leading, but they did it with a lot of 
heart and concern for everyone in their community. And it had been like that for thousands of years. So I know it can be done. I've seen it. I think that we have to take a real step in that direction. And part of that is that I don't want to just explore herbs, being an herbalist on this podcast, which I'm sure a lot of you who are listening to this are maybe a little surprised I'm not just talking about herbs. I think all of us have a lot of layers, and I want to look at different aspects of wildness and fierceness and freedom to be who we are and explore how herbs and singing and dancing and lifestyle and connection can maybe bring us closer together as a species. So excited to have you join me. Um, My guest is Esther Schroeder. She is an alchemist and works with plants in their aromatic state most of the time. So she is uh, likes to distill and make different types of aromatic preparations and has a product line called Essentia Organica. And is there anything else I should add? Your background maybe as a biochemist as well as a herbalist? Well, it's a- yeah, well, it's uh, medical engineering from the University of Michigan and um, many years of experience on clinical research mm. as well. Wonderful. So you kind of blend the idea, you know a lot about Western allopathic medicine and sciences, and you kind of take that and you've gone into a more holistic direction, but you have a really great foundation in the sciences. Yes, very much so. I love science, but spiritual, but um, but my passion is about botanical medicine. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining me today. And I had a couple of questions for you because my specialty is not alchemy, as you know. Um, My specialty is more herbal medicine. But I just wanted to know, because I started researching antimony and wild medicine and wild spirit and what it meant to me and as an alchemist how do you relate antimony to our own wild nature or do you uh yes absolutely um antimony has been used since ancient times it was used by the egyptians as a cosmetic and then it was used by um in the medieval times by Basil Valentin and Paracelsus. Uh, according to them, antimony is filled with life force. It's the carrier of the universal spirit of nature. Um, according to alchemy, all metals are empowered when they are able to unite with antimony. So I believe that just like antimony, our mission in life is to be carriers of that wild and that universal spirit of nature. Um, Therefore, we must study and learn to live in harmony with nature. We must obey nature's love and become a vessel of its wisdom. Just like antimony, we must become carriers of the universal force for the good of all beings. 
when you think of alchemy, what does alchemy mean to you? Because th I think there's so many different definitions of it. Well, alchemy is the quintessential art of transformation. Uh, there are basically two major parts to this art. One is physical and the other one is spiritual. For, for example, the idea of transforming lead into gold can be done both physically in the lab, but most importantly, the spiritual part is, is the connection that we had. It's an inspiration to transform our dark and slow materialistic consciousness into a purified golden consciousness. So there are practical applications of alchemy and meditational and spiritual practices. Um, when creating an alchemical tincture, for instance, the alchemist is always aware of the influence of her state of mind into the creation of the herbal medicine. It's, it's, it's a beautiful blend of both the spiritual, the mental, and the physical together as one. Yeah, I, I think that's the important thing is that I, a lot of people <clears throat> get caught up with the idea of alchemy meaning the search for gold and gold can mean a lot of different things on a lot of different levels and I think one thing that really struck me when I did the research was that antimony in its its purest self is toxic but the alchemists were able to transform using using it they they transformed it into a medicinal substance which was really you know interesting to me I didn't know that 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 was another part of the element elemental use use but do you know any other uses like that or have you heard of that or that is that new to you yes um antimony uh has been used in the past especially with uh basil valentine who was uh, he was a benedictine monk and as well as paracelsus they they press antimony as the best blood purifying agent capable of curing many diseases and it is true antimony al antimony is toxic is uh, similar to arsenic mm. therefore mm -hmm. it must be purified you know the alchemical preparation of antimony can only be done by a very advanced alchemist Mm -hmm. uh, these masters are able to purify antimony to to a level that they can create a metallic tincture. Wow! Also called it's also called the oil of, of um, antimony. And I had um, there is somebody I know, my teacher. His name is Robert Barlett. He lives in he lives click, uh, in Seattle, Washington, and he's the only one I know who's capable of doing that. And uh, you can only take it drop by drop. And um, it's just completely nurtures your blood, purifies the blood. Um, and also it has a regenerating power to it. Mm. it. It had also been used in combination with uh, mercury and gold to produce the philosopher's stone. Mm -hmm. So it's a very powerful element. Yeah, and I think just for, you know, the audience's sake, I, one of the things that a lot of people get inspired to do when they hear this is think about trying to do it on their own and DIY culture is, is 
great and empowering. But I guess in this case, do you feel like antimony is something that somebody could figure out on their own? Or do you have any cautions against that? No, no, it's very complex. Uh, first, it's always a good idea to start with plant alchemy, mm -hmm. you know, because we use alcohol as the main, main menstrual, what we use to dissolve the plant. But when we work with metals, we, we use hydrochloric acid. We use substances that are very, very um, dangerous. Mm. So it requires a lot of experience. And uh, definitely, you have to write the fine teacher, you know, the right teacher for that. And as far as I know, um, only one, Robert Bartley, is the one that is most capable of doing that work. In fact, he's about to prove to um, publish a book all about antimony. Wow, I didn't know that. It's, it's, I know, it's amazing how you start asking questions about antimony so timely. He already published two books, but in, I took a class from him on metallic alchemy, and he told us that the book was coming. And I just received an, another message that it might be published this year. Wow, how neat. Well, I'll make sure and um, put his name and the book in the show notes. So if people want to learn more about this idea and the substance that they have a place to go in the future, as well as your own information, so they can get to know more about you as well. Is there anything else you feel like you want to say about antimony and wild spirits? I think uh, we all had that wild spirit that sometimes we repress it because of society rules, but uh, it's, in, it's in our hearts and we need to really work on ourselves to um, express it, just like antimony, be a carrier of that wild and amazing universal spirit. Thank you, Esther, so much. And I always love talking with you, and I hope you'll come again and visit again and give us more insight. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. This story is from Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Estes, entitled La Loba. There is an old woman who lives in a hidden place that everyone knows but few have ever seen. As in the fairy tales of Eastern Europe, she seems to wait for lost or wandering people and seekers to come to her place. She is circumspect, often hairy, always fat, and especially wishes to evade most company. She is both a crower and a cackler, generally having more animal sounds than human ones. They say that she lives among the rotten granite slopes in Tarahumara Indian Territory. They say that she is buried outside Phoenix, near a well. She is said to have been seen traveling south to Monte Alban in a burnt out car with the back window shot out 
She is said to stand by the highway near El Paso or ride shotgun with truckers to Morelia, Mexico, or that she has been sighted walking to the market above Oaxaca with a strangely formed bough of firewood on her back. She is called by many names, La Wisera, Bone Woman, La Trapera, The Gatherer, and La Loba, Wolf Woman. The sole work of La Loba is the collecting of bones. She is known to collect and preserve, especially that which is in danger of being lost to the world. Her cave is filled with the bones of all manner of desert creatures, the deer, the rattlesnake, the crow, but her specialty is said to be wolves. She creeps and crawls and sifts through the montañas, mountains, and the arroyos, dry river beds, looking for wolf bones. And when she has assembled an entire skeleton, when the last bone is in place and the beautiful white sculpture of the creature is laid out before her, she sits by the fire and thinks about what the song will be that she sings. And when she is sure, she stands over the creatura, raising her arms over it and sings out. That is when the rib bones and the leg bones of the wolf begin to flesh out and the creature becomes furred. La Loba sings some more and more of the creature comes into being. Its tail curls upward, shaggy and strong. And La Loba sings more and the wolf creature begins to breathe. And still La Loba sings so deeply that the floor of the desert shakes. And as she sings, the wolf opens its eyes, leaps up and runs away down the canyon. Somewhere in its running, whether by the speed of its running or by splashing its way into a river or by the way a ray of sunlight or moonlight hitting it right in the side, the wolf is suddenly transformed into a laughing woman who runs free towards the horizon. So it is said that if you wander the desert and it is near sundown and you're perhaps a little bit lost and certainly tired, that you're lucky for La Loba may take a liking to you and show you something, something of the soul.